Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. If you're not getting my emails, my weekly emails, one of two things are happening. Uh, it might be going to your junk folder. So just check on that. It's mark.kuiper at 3, and it's the number 3, riverspca.com. Um, so if you're not getting them and you're a, a regular attender or member here, it, it could be going to your junk mail, or I may not be sending them to you. I think I have about 64 addresses uh, that I send it out to. Um, so please let me know. Either shoot me a text, an email, or give me a card at the end of the service, and I'll make sure you get it. Sometimes, like this week, when I send out the order, I'll, I'll tell you um, that I'm not going to do the whole chapter, so you can read the first few verses on your own. Sometimes I'll send out uh, notes. We almost always send out the order of worship, so you can be prepared and know what we're going to do. So, Proverbs 4, uh, verses 20 to 27. Again, the context, he writes, My son, fatherly advice from the wisest person on earth, according to the scriptures. The previous two sections that we have studied, he's talked about wisdom and understanding, knowing and being able to take what you know and apply it to the situation. He's told his son, search for wisdom, find it, obtain it. Let it not leave you. Take hold of it, hold fast, guard it, store it up. Uh, and then last week, uh, we answered the question, why? And the father says, here's why. And he tells him, uh, this will benefit every aspect of your life. What you know concerning our God, as you know our God, as you fear Him above everything else, it will benefit every area of your life. What I like about this morning's section is uh, the Father is going to go from knowledge and understanding, which we often equate to the head, right? I know this, you know, we say someone's head's not screwed on properly, right? Or the elevator doesn't go up to the first floor or, you know, or whatever, the top floor, uh, we equate knowledge and understanding with the brain. These are things that I know. Here, the Father is going to say what you know in your head, what you will learn in your head, what wisdom and understanding will give you is intended to make its way into your heart. So think of it this way. As the head is to the body, right? I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about my bike wreck. To me, the most amazing thing about, my, well, there's a lot of great things. Most amazing thing to me is I don't remember it. Like, I've never been knocked out in my life. I mean, I've been hit with baseball bats. I got hit by a car when I was 12. Um, I've fallen out of trees. Uh, I've, you know, I've banged up my head so many times. I've never been knocked out until that moment. And it's still kind of crazy. There's a portion, there's a twilight zone over by the Bacon's house where I entered that twilight zone, and, I, and, and, and my memory has been erased. I think maybe Angie hit me with a car. That's what I'm thinking. And uh, nobody knows, guy got away, and I, and I, I wake up. Um, as the head, as the brain is, in a sense, to the body, all right, our heart in Scripture is to the soul. As our body can't live without a proper functioning brain. My mom, advancing in Alzheimer's, her brain is shutting things down. Hard to see. A horrible disease. Uh, the brain is to the body. The heart is to the soul. The, the, the brain, the understanding, and the wisdom, the Father is saying, Oh, now, my son, it has to go 
from just what you know to what you love. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we are this morning. I talked about my bike wreck. Uh, if you see me riding my bicycle, which a lot of you do, it's kind of funny. Um, I see probably Ashley Couch the most. Uh, I don't know why it is, but it's good. She at least knows I'm out exercising. Uh, you'll see me wearing a helmet. I hate that helmet. I, it's the worst, especially when you're a bald man. Because you're going to have, I'm going to have these suntan stripes here that, that match the bike helmet. Um, uh, you have no hair when you're a bald man, and so all the sweat goes right into my eyeballs. I mean, it's the worst. I get done, and it looks like I've been smoking reefer for weeks. My eyes are bright red. I'm just, I mean, the sweat is just, this is the worst. I got a bug stuck in one of the holes the other day. I'm riding, I'm going, there's something in there, and I'm shaking my head around. I'm like, I hope nobody sees me. Uh, I hate wearing the helmet. It's the worst. Uh, why do I do it? Well, I'm really glad I had it on when I wrecked. It was shattered, and I'm alive. I do it because I got to protect my head above my elbows, above my knees, above my shoulder. I have to protect it. My head has to be protected in order to live. Guys playing football, you don't go in there without a helmet, do you? In fact, as soon as the helmet's off, they blow the whistle, don't they? Whistle, it's dead, you're tackled, quit running, it's over. We are not going to risk this, all this technology. Anybody's an F1 fan, race a couple weeks ago, amazing. Number one and number two get in a crash. Number one's wheel comes right at the guy's head. We kept seeing it in slow motion, right at the guy's head. And they had just created in the last year this halo over the race car. It's weird, it has a bar right in the middle of it. I'm like, how are they not all cross-eyed? There's a bar right in the middle and a halo around their head. Why did they do that? For that crash. They're like, oh, Lewis Hamilton takes some bangs and bruises. But if his head gets taken out, it's game over. And so the father here is saying to the son, my son, the most important thing for you to protect is not your bank account. It is not your reputation. It is not how much you know or what people think of you. It is not even your physical body, son. The most important thing for you to protect is your soul, your heart. Let's read Proverbs 4, starting at verse 20. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Is that text still up there? Can you put it back there one? 
Uh, so a lot of times in Hebrew poetry, and I've said this before, um, there was an oral tradition. And so uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of, if you've ever been to uh, like a, a Messianic Jewish worship service, their songs have lots of chants. Uh, and and, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, it's just this fun environment. Um, uh, I have a, a friend, a Jewish Christian friend, and, and he would lead music for our youth every once in a while, and there'd always be one like Jewish chant that you felt like you could just dance to um, in order to be memorized. So as we looked at um, one of the other Proverbs that we said had 22 verses, and each verse started with, with the, the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, they also use structure. So what we have here is what we call a chiasm. And it's a little different for us because you're, you're expecting a sermon from me to have point one, point two, point three, a funny story at the end that helps you remember it, and then a conclusion. A lot of times with Hebrews, what you would have is your first point would be the first part and the last part. So you would have like point one, point two, and then the main point. So you have that here. This, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ears to my sayings. Uh, then you get 26, the path of your, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. It coincides with two. Um, let them not escape from your sight. And so um, he, he is going to uh, talk about how, how we protect our hearts. But, but we know that the, the main thrust is this verse 23. You keep your heart with all vigilance. I think it's the old King James that said, above all things, guard your heart, for from it flow life. So uh, what are we going to do this morning? We're going to talk about what you guard most closely. I'm going to ask you to consider that in your life. What do you guard most closely? Now, the heart in Scripture, there's a definition of the heart from Scripture. What does it mean when I say heart? Uh, it's similar use in our culture. The heart is similar. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the heart for us is, is kind of this, this part of us in our spirit that holds everything important, everything that we love. Uh, it, it, it serves as an internal guide. It, it leads us to do things or not do things. Uh, some have called it this vault of values. All that you value is stored in there. Uh, a person's center core values is in their heart. What we love, what we long for is in our heart. Uh, what if I would, were to lose it would make life not worth living? Um, and here's what he, the father is telling the son. Son, your heart is going to be under constant attack. It's going to be constantly attacked. You will have from all manner of sources attacks to what you hold in there. Uh, we either don't know it, we either don't care about it, or we think it can't be controlled. It's a common thought today. We can't really control uh, or at worst, we have just let our heart rest in an unsafe place. We have, have allowed ourselves to love the same exact things as people who don't know our God love. And we have thought it, it, it's just the same. Being a Christian means I'm just not going to pay for my sins. And it's so much more than that. Being a Christian means in, in the center of your being, there is a love for God. And it, and it has come from Him to you. 
You have received it. And, 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 it, and it has changed what you value. And he says, we've got to guard what's in there. Um, the sermon in the sentence is at the heart of the matter. It, it is the matter of our heart. Uh, Stephen Garber writes in The Fabric of Faithfulness, um, which parents of kids, it's a good read. He studies uh, kind of in a professor way uh, students' faith before college and after college. And so the, the title, Fabric of Faithfulness, he's like, what, what is woven into the lives of these students who hold their faith when they leave college? But I remember reading it a few years back, and one thing that stood out, he says, when a student faces difficult life decisions, most of the time the decision was made long ago. What is he saying? He is saying they have, they have gone, they've gotten themselves on a path or a way of thinking or they've allowed their lives to be directed, their hearts to be filled, uh, so that when the decision comes, it, it's almost just another logical step away from our God. The heart, some may argue, the heart wants what it wants. Anybody know who wrote that? Emily Dickinson in 1862. The heart wants what it wants or else it does not care. You know, the first time I heard that saying, the heart wants what the heart wants, which is basically saying, I can't control it. Uh, it's, it's, just the, it's just this thing in me. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like that uh, Iron Man thing, you know. It, it, it has power to keep me alive, and uh, you know, it, it has to be fed, but it's on its own. Uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. I first heard it um, back in, oh gosh, I think it was 77, when, uh, when Woody Allen, film writer, actor, director, uh, when Woody Allen leaves, I think he had had an eight-year fling with, um, oh, I can't remember her name. Anyway, he, he, he leaves who he is with to uh, eventually marry her 21-year-old adopted daughter. So at 56, he leaves his partner to marry her adopted daughter. And when he was being interviewed, he says, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. There's no logic to those things. You meet someone and you fall in love, and that's that. That's a common view. Our hearts we can't control them. I love this. I want this. Uh, it, it must be right. My heart is telling me that this is what I'm to have. And the scriptures say, of course, in Jeremiah 79, famous, the heart's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick, and who can understand it? Let me tell you the good news of our gospel is we can't control our hearts by ourselves, but with the power of the risen Savior. Our hearts can be controlled. And so what I want to do is just take these other verses and we're going to look about how we gorge it, how we guard it, and how we guide our hearts. So the first verses, 20 to 22, uh, I say that, that the heart can be changed. It can be guarded. It, it, it will be turned. Here's how we know that. You take any American kid and you raise him in a different culture far along outside of all of American TikTok, and that kid is going to love something different. 
One of the problems, I don't want to get too political, one of the problems with some of our politics is we think everybody thinks like we do. And so we think, we think a human being that has been raised in a completely different system, if we give them the right to vote, they're going to become Americans, and it's going to be all good. Um, and, and so uh, the heart can be changed. And, and you see this. You see this in a family. A, a child starts to develop the loves that the family has, the desires that the family has, the importance of what the family has. We see it in, in groups and in communities. Uh, kids start hanging out with a certain group, and all of a sudden, they all love the same music. It's all drawn to the same person. So hearts can absolutely be changed. And so the first thing I think he says to his son is gorge your heart, feed your heart. And in this, the whole body is engaged. The ear, you know, the, the, the ear has what, what we hear will feed our hearts. The eyes in verse 21 will feed our heart. Verse 21, 23, the mouth, the lips will feed our heart. The eyes, the, he goes even further, the gaze, the Hebrew word there is, is actually the pupil <laughs> will we'll feed our heart. What we focus our eyes on, the feet will take us to a place that will feed our heart. I like to summarize it in these three ways. The word, we feed our heart. In verse 20, he says, be attentive to it. Our Sunday school class this morning, sola scriptura, we we feed ourselves on the word of God. When I went to seminary, I was 28 years old. And um, I, I, I often say, those of you who are Star Wars fans, that when I went to seminary, I was like Luke Skywalker in The Return of the Jedi. I, I thought, I need to get this training done so I can go help my rebel friends. Um, and uh, let, me, let me knock this training out of here because... The church needs me. They need me so bad. Um, and uh, part of that seminary training and my first few calls in ministry, I realized the church really doesn't need me. I need the church. God doesn't need me. I realize I need him more than I ever thought. And the first class I took um, was called Ministry Development and Assessment. And um, the academic types hated it. Because you, you, the seminary nerd gets, gets, to, uh, gets to school and they're like, I get to learn these languages. I get to study ancient theology. Uh, I get to geek out on all this other stuff. I'm going to be the smartest person in the church uh, when it comes to the Bible. And we had this class that wasn't academic really at all. It was an old church planner pastor. And every student had to take it. And that class, that first semester, all we did was read scriptures and quotes from pastors, theologians, all of them dealing with our identity. And I mean, it was just the same thing. And, it, and it, you would just, you'd have this ream of quotes from the scripture saying, who we are in Christ. Why does it matter? My identity is so tied to Jesus. That I, the, the, the fact that I belong to him. Only after did I realize how important that was. That as a minister of the gospel, I would be tempted as anybody else to find my identity, my worth, my value from God's people, from the church, from the affirming words. Um, so here he is saying, son, stay close to my word. My word will be the primary source of feeding truth to your heart. My word will stand at times to tell you, these are the things you are not to love. These are the things you are to shun. 
We are to hate evil. We are to be discerning. We are to be discriminating. There's nothing wrong with discrimination. It's why, what's the basis of discrimination that might be right or wrong? We're to be a thinking people. Um, and, and that's what he says. So the, the first part of feeding our hearts has to be the word of God. The fellowship of God's people is another vital part of it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It's like, don't, don't forget to make it a habit. You have to habitually meet with the people of God in fellowship. And prayer, from our, even from our confession this morning, when he says in there, the words, the mouths, the lips, uh, in prayer, we are actually preaching to ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. In prayer, I, I often say, take the word of God and, and pray with it in your hand. Read the text and pray as you read it. Um, we gorge our hearts on what God has given us in his gospel. Our prayer might be something simple like this. God, I want to want to want you more than anything else. We gorge our hearts in corporate worship. When he says, stay on the path and don't swerve from it. Do you know our enemy's greatest tool is worship? You realize that, that that's what he does. It, 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 it's not to get us to drink too much. It is to get us to worship something other than God. If you look at the book of Numbers, that's, that's what it is, whether it's Balaam or Balak. Uh, you, you look at the prophets. Our enemy uses worship to draw the people of God away. This is what you should love. This is what will bring you joy. This is what will make you happy. Corporate worship with the people of God where we remind one and another, our God is worthy. Um, it, it's supposed to feed our heart. And we need it continuously. It is not something that we'll have and it'll be gone. Um, you know, we have, we have broken choosers and we have leaky cisterns as well. And so our, our feeding ourselves on the gospel of God through these four means, the word, fellowship, prayer, and corporate worship is a way not just to stave off the decay of our heart, but to build it up and to train it in what it should love. I find that the longer that I read the word of God, the more I love the word of God. I find that the longer I am regularly in corporate worship, the more I love corporate worship. And if, I ever, if it ever seems like I'm the worship attendance police, as I call you because we haven't seen you in a while, it's because my soul needs it to survive. And I care over you. I wonder how is a soul surviving? What, what are they feeding on? What is, what is reminding them of their value, of their identity? What is doing that to them if they're not regularly, corporately with God's people? So the first step is we gorge ourselves in worship. The second, as he says in verse 23, is that we guard it. And so, in a sense that I would put a helmet over my head to guard my brain, we guard ourselves. And think of him saying it to his son. Um, one of the first conversations I have with my adopted son, DeAndre, is I didn't let him go to a certain place. And it was part of what kind of defined our relationship. Yeah, he saw me on Sunday, and he's like, Rev, how come Jordan and Luke didn't go to this thing? And I said, because I don't think it's a good place for him. I don't think it's a good place for a young man to be. I don't think it's going to help him. I think he's going to see things, and I think he's going to get drawn into things that are not good for his soul and his heart. 
And those of you who know DeAndre, you know he's he's just I mean he's he's out there, right? He'll just tell you exactly what he thinks. He's like, you're right. <laughs> he's like, I shouldn't have been there, you know. Uh, and then he said, why did you let me? You know, in in, in that sense, the 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 writer's saying here, son, I. I'm going to do everything I can to guard your heart. So he lists a couple things here. Um, guarding your heart uh, with the word. Uh, the, um, guarding your heart against, against the world. Uh, scripture tells us that we have three main enemies in categories. The world of the flesh and the devil. And so he is saying, uh, above all things that are to be guarded, O son, keep your heart. Uh, the world, the current world that we reside in. Uh, the microcultures that we reside in and the macrocultures that, that we reside in. Uh, the world gives us values. The world tells us what we should love. The world gives us hopes, loves, dreams, desired future. You pull out your phone and you're immediately looking at, at, at this life that, that you should envy, this thing that, that will make you happy. If you had just as much as this person that does, you would be just as pretty, just as liked. Um, the world is out to get our hearts and to steal it. The flesh, when the, world, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's our own personal fallenness. It's spiritual yearnings and hungers that our heart have that are not satisfied in God alone. It's often just the weaknesses of the body. The person who looks at pornography and thinks it doesn't hurt anyone. person hooked on romance novels, setting up their heart for disappointment with whomever the Lord brings to them. Their vices, forbidden sexual activities, indulgences of food, drugs, alcohol, laziness, sins of the body, all vices that drag us down. My son, guard your heart from these things. Your own flesh will war against your soul. Guard your heart, thirdly, against the devil. He is hell-bent on our destruction. He is longing for us to give our hearts to anything but God. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is a deceiver. I know we're kind of running out of time. I'm going to run through these 10 quick things about Satan. So I don't talk about him enough. Um, if you want, I'll give you the list. Number one, Satan is not omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, or eternal. He is a created being. Luther called him God's devil. Uh, he is not everywhere. So sometimes we say Satan's after me. It's, it's like you're that important that this creature that can only be in one place is after you. But we mean in a sense that Satan and his forces too. He exercises otherworldly dominion in a way of hierarchy. So that's what we see uh, as he's explained. Uh, he can manipulate matter, weather, bacteria. He, 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 he can influence and sway legal proceedings and government structures. He aggressively seeks to trap Christians. He's more skilled at deception than any other created being. He is even able to kill Christians. Read Job 1 and 2. God says, yeah, you can do all this to him. Job gives us a great theology of the evil one and his desires. And, and that, that he cannot go beyond the scope or the tether that our God has given him. He says, yeah, you, you're, free to, you're free to harm his body but don't take his life. Uh, and Satan actually then ends up being, some call it the Lord's lackey for our Christian holiness. I'm not going to read this, but in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this, this messenger of Satan 
that whispers in his ear. And yet, when he prays for it to be gone, the Lord says, no, your strength is made perfect. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Uh, nine, Satan will be thrown into hell in the end. And number 10, he is resistible. We don't use the devil made me do it as an excuse. He is to be resisted by the saints. Guard your heart against him. Uh, lastly, verses 24 to 26, then we guide our heart. We feed it, we guard it, and we guide it. He says here we guide it with our mouth. The things that we say, the things, uh, devious speech, crooked talk. You know, there are, um, there, there's that, anybody seen Brian Regan, the ep epitome of hyperbole? Have you seen that, his, uh, his comedy, The Epitome of Hyperbole? Um, it's the epitome of hyperbole, but uh, pretty funny comedian. And uh, he talks about being at a party, and uh, someone says, you know, you, you, you're, you like art? He's like, yeah, I like art. I'm, I'm, you know. Someone says you're an expert in art or something like that. And the guy's like, yes, you like, <laughs> you like Monet? He's like, oh, I love Monet. <laughs> and he, he talks, and it's just so great the way he puts it. He, he says something, and then he just does this face, and he's like, like, I'm trying to get those words. Have you ever felt that? He's like, I'm trying to get those words and put them back in that everybody heard. Father said, your son, uh, son your, your mouth uh, will guide you. Crooked talk, devious speech. Our eyes, in verse 25, we're told the eyes are the lamp of the body. The eyes are always searching for some new stimulus. Guide your heart by guarding your mouth, your eyes. And in verse 26, son, where you go physically. The wrong path away from God is almost always a gradual turn almost always a merge and so as he concludes in verse 27 he says so don't swerve to the right or the left turn your foot away from evil oh my son the heart of the matter of your life is the matter of your heart guard it above everything it is the most important thing entrusted for your care Guard it with your very life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words not just make sense, but we might be able to think of things in a different way. Our downtime as people can tend to be a time that takes us down paths that aren't helpful. Our alone time that we might think is good to restore our souls may take us in places that aren't helpful. Holy Spirit, help us guard our hearts. Help us trust your word. Help us see the deceptions of the evil one. Father, we pray that you would break the cisterns that are holding things that keep us from completely trusting and loving you. And fill it up with yourself. Father, we pray now that as we take the cup and we eat the bread, that it would nourish our hearts. And we would be able to say, in, in, in my soul, in my inner being, Christ lives.
He is the one that tells me my value, my worth. He is the one that leads me down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. He is the one that tells me I fear no evil because I'm with you. He is the one we love above all. Oh, help us, Jesus. We thank you for your patience with us. We get frustrated at times about uh, the, the slowness of our growth, the ever-present understanding of our sinful struggles. Give us wisdom against the world, the flesh, and the evil one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.